We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. And uh, let's just turn our attention to God's word. Um, As we were saying, uh, relationships have the potential to totally and radically change our lives. So I'm having a baby in a few weeks, and I'm fully expecting that will change my life. And there's been several instances throughout my life that I've met a friend or, or a, a, an older man or a woman who has had deep, lasting impact on my life. And maybe you've met people like that too, but there's no one that has greater potential to impact your life than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that he has the ability to impact your life the reason that he's had the ability to impact the life of so many people here is because he is not dead, he is alive. He is not weak, he is strong, and he is seated on a throne ruling over all of the earth. A relationship with Jesus has the potential to completely change your life. And so what I want to do today, as we look at the book of Revelation, chapter 1, I want to show you five truths about Jesus that will radically fill your longings, calm your fears, and change your life. Five truths about Jesus that will radically change your life. So the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, tells us an astonishing story about the end of the world and about God's rule and reign over it. So let's read together the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. Here's our Easter hope. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Five truths about Jesus that will radically fill your longings, calm your fears, and change your life. Number one, Jesus is astonishing. He is completely unique and amazing. There is no one on earth, above the earth, or under the earth that has ever come close to being as astonishing as Jesus. The book of Revelation uses some vivid imagery and symbolism to tell us about Jesus. And as we read this passage, it's going to tell us some things about Jesus that sound a little bit strange. And as we read this symbolic language, we need to remember that it's telling us true characteristics about Jesus, not necessarily describing his appearance. So it's telling us what Jesus 
is like rather than what he looks like. It's telling us true characteristics about his character, about his person, about his nature, and about his work, rather than true characteristics about his fashion sense. So so Jesus is astonishing. He is an astonishing God. Verse 13 describes him as one like a son of man. That's a figure from the Old Testament who was equal to God, and he was the ruler over all the earth. Verse 14 says that the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Again, that same language is used in the Old Testament to describe God. And so language that has only throughout history been used to describe God is here being used to describe Jesus. In verse 17, he says, I am the first and the last. He is the first because he is the creator of all things. He is the last because he is the goal of all things. All things were created for the purposes of Jesus. Us and everyone and everything around us exists for Jesus, not for ourselves. Jesus is an astonishing God. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus was worshipped as God. Jesus performed miracles that proved he was God. Jesus taught saying that he was God clearly and unapologetically. And Jesus pointed to his miracles and said, they're proof that he is God. It's popular today to say that Jesus was a good man or a moral teacher. But if Jesus is not God, he could not have been a moral teacher because he claimed that he was God. At the very best, he's he's a liar and a thief and a lunatic that had some good things to say. But if Jesus is God... And if Jesus is the first and the last, then he has the right to lay claim on every area of our lives. If Jesus is God, then we have to respond by worshiping him. And proper worship to such an astonishing God cannot be encompassed by a few hours on Sunday morning every week. It has to encompass every second, every aspect of our life because Jesus Christ is an astonishing God. He is God. He created everything. Therefore, he has the right to rule and reign over that creation. Because Jesus is not just an astonishing God. He is an astonishing king. Verse 13 says that he's clothed with a long robe. That's the cloak of a king. Because Jesus is a king. Verse 15 says his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. The foundation of his kingdom, the feet, the bottom of his kingdom is strong, pure, and refined. It is unbeatable and unshakable. It will never fall or falter. You cannot outrun, outwit, or outlast the kingdom and the rule and the reign of King Jesus because his foundation is unshakable. He is king and he is king forever. Again, verse 15 says, And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Jesus is powerful, and he speaks with an authority that is rightfully his. Verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. Stars are an image used throughout this book of Revelation to refer to the church. And so Jesus holds the church in his right hand. That means that he rules over it. It belongs to him. The church exists because Jesus has decided that it should exist. And and that also means that the ultimate source of authority in the church is King Jesus. It's not any set of rules or group of traditions. It's not any teacher, prophet, priest, pope, or king. But Jesus is the ultimate source of truth 
in the world. If you want to know what's true, you look and listen to King Jesus. Again, verse 16 says, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. You might remember last year there was an an eclipse and, and a lot of people spent a whole day just staring up at the sun like this and they really hurt themselves. Because the sun, while it's powerful and while it's necessary to warm our bodies, grow our crops, and power our homes, it's also very dangerous. There's a reason that the sun is bigger than the earth. There's a reason that the sun is far away from the earth. Because if it were any closer, it would kill us all. And if, we, if we're exposed to the sun in a prolonged, unprotected, or unprepared way, then it has the potential to burn us, to hurt us, to, to maim us, to cause cancer, and even to take lives. The sun is very important, but it is very dangerous. And the same is true about Jesus. He is greater than the world. He is bigger than every ruler and institution on the earth. He is more powerful than all human authority put together. He rules and reigns over the earth. He is really important and really dangerous. He has the power to rule over all things as the king. That means that he's the reason that the earth is still spinning around the sun. He's the reason that gravity still works. He's the reason that you have breath in your lungs right now. He's the reason that your heart is continuing to beat. He is the king, and he has the power to rule over all things, and he also has the authority to rule over all things. Because if he created all things, that means that he gets to set the agenda. He sets the rules. He gets to determine what is right. And he he has the ability to do that because he is wise and because he is powerful, because he is the king. Now that creates an interesting problem for us. Because if this God, Jesus Christ, is like the sun shining in its full strength, and if this God has the authority to set the rules and the agenda for our life, we know that we've all offended this king. We've all rebelled against this king. We have all been angry, which Jesus says is just as bad as murder. We have all been impatient because we believe that our plans matter more than other people. We have all lied and offended the God who is himself truth. We have all ignored others because we believe ourselves to be more important. We've all looked at men and women with lust demeaning their dignity and violating God's purity. God sees us for what we really are. And therefore, Jesus is an astonishing judge. Verse 14 says, His eyes were like a flame of fire. Jesus sees all things and knows all things. There is nothing that can escape His pure and penetrating gaze. In our own justice system, it takes a lot of people to get to the truth and to find out what's just and what's fair in any given court case. Any court case will require a judge, at least two lawyers, a number of witnesses, several 
officers or bailiffs to keep the peace as we seek to find out what's fair and just. It takes a lot of people to get to the truth, but not so with Jesus, who is a perfect judge, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, who sees all things. He knows what is true. He knows what is fair. He knows what is just. He's a perfect judge. And in God's eternal justice system, Jesus rules as the judge, jury, prosecutor, defender, and witness because he sees all things. And now this is really good news because it means that all evil in the world will be destroyed. Everyone that has wronged you will be punished. The injustices that people have committed against you have not gone unnoticed by God. It means that murderers will be destroyed. It means that people that abuse and rape women will be destroyed. It means that terrorists will be destroyed. Jesus is the judge of all the earth. Evil will be eradicated by his power and authority. And that is very good news for us. However, it's also very bad news for us. Because we know that evil has not just been committed against us, but we've also perpetrated evil. We've also brought evil about in the world. Like we just said, we've all lied. We've all coveted. We've all been selfish. We've all been unkind. We've all ignored someone that we knew needed our help. And as a result, God's justice is coming in Christ. But let's keep reading. Look at verse 16. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now that's a strong image. From Jesus' mouth, meaning his words, have two sides, mercy and judgment. So Jesus, as the judge, rightfully declares some to be guilty and he grants eternal condemnation. But at the same time, Jesus, as the judge, mercifully grants some to be innocent and grants them blessing. And so this Jesus rules and judges with a double-edged sword, judgment and mercy. But how? How does he determine who falls into which category? How does he determine who receives mercy and who receives justice? Moreover, if Jesus really is a perfect judge, how can he ignore sin in a seemingly arbitrary group of people? How can he ignore grave injustices that have been perpetrated against us and that we ourselves have perpetrated? Is he merely sweeping them under the rug of the universe and ignoring them? No. Jesus is an astonishing God, king, judge, and he's also an astonishing priest. Verse 13 says, And with a golden sash around his chest. That golden sash is described a number of times in the Bible, and it's always worn across the chest of a priest. Jesus is a priest. He reveals God to us. The Bible says that he's the exact imprint of God's nature. 
So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God feels like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God loves, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God expects, you look at Jesus. Jesus is a priest who reveals God to us. But he also reconciles us to God. He represents God to us, and he represents us to God. In Christ... God has created and accomplished a plan for you to be forgiven of your sin. And in his infinite mercy and grace, he is not just the priest, but he himself is the sacrifice. The reason that Jesus died on a cross was not because he committed any crime himself, but rather he lived a perfect life without any wrongdoing, evil, or crimes. He always loved and never hated. He always did what was just and fair and right and never did what was wrong or evil. And then he was brutally murdered. Not for his crimes, because he didn't have any. He was murdered for our crimes. He took the punishment that rightfully should have landed on us. So that anyone that puts their trust in Jesus can be forgiven. Jesus is a priest. And in Christ, God has orchestrated the exclusive path for someone to be forgiven of their sin. There is no other way. Friends, Jesus is astonishing. He is an astonishing God. He is an astonishing King. He is an astonishing Judge. He is an astonishing Priest. And why is He a Priest? Why does He, why does he take the time to seek after us, rebels as we are? He takes that time because He is kind. Jesus is astonishing. And number two, Jesus is kind. As we just saw, Jesus is greater than we are. We are less than a worm to him because we are evil and wicked. He does not need us. Jesus did not create us because he felt some loneliness in his heart. He was perfectly sufficient in and of himself. He did not create us because he needed us. He created us because he loves us. He did not save us because he needs us. He saves us because he loves us. We are far off from God, but Jesus chooses to draw near. Now this book that we're reading, Revelation, it was written by a close friend of Jesus, whose name was John. And John was a close friend of Jesus throughout his life on earth. He saw Jesus eat. He saw Jesus nap. He saw Jesus get tired because Jesus, in addition to being God, King, Judge, and Priest, Jesus was a man just like you and I. He took on the limitations of being a man so that he could save us, so that he could live and die and rise for you. But John is now seeing Jesus fully arrayed in his glory, and his response tells us something interesting. Look with me at verse 17. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's the only right response to this glorious King Jesus. But 
he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. John is rightly recognizing that Jesus is an amazing and terrifying judge, and Jesus draws close to him and touches him. And he says, fear not. And how does Jesus calm his fears? Not by saying, oh, it's going to be all right. You're better than you think. It's not that bad. No. Jesus does not comfort John by pointing to John himself, but rather Jesus comforts John by pointing to Jesus himself. And the same is true about each of you today. The answer to all of your longings in this life is not found in your own self-esteem, self-worth, or self-actualization. The answer to all of your longings in this life are not found in self-improvement. The answer to all of your longings in this life are not found in relationship with one another or approval from others. The answer to all of your longings in this life are found in the risen King Jesus. So if you're feeling alone, Jesus draws near. If you're feeling scared, Jesus says, fear not, I'm here. If you're feeling neglected or abused, Jesus cares. If you're feeling shamed, Jesus dignifies. If you're feeling ignored, Jesus hears you. If you're feeling guilty, Jesus forgives you. If you're feeling meaningless, Jesus calls. If you're feeling unworthy, Jesus extends a perfect mercy. The answer to all of your longings, friends, is found not in yourself or other people around you, but is found above you in the risen King Jesus. Five truths about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is astonishing. Number two, Jesus is kind. Number three, Jesus died. Jesus really died. It was a historical event. And in verse 18, he points us to that. He says, behold, I died. Now, how do we know that this verse isn't symbolic like all the other verses we read? How do we know that it doesn't have a deeper meaning that we're supposed to unlock? Well, it's because Jesus' death and his resurrection have been attested to by a number of sources, many of which are in our New Testament. And archaeology shows us that the books of the New Testament are very old and very early. They were written when eyewitnesses were still alive. And yet there is no credible claim that Jesus did not actually die and rise from the grave until centuries later, long after the eyewitnesses had died and gone away. Jesus died, and it was brutal. He was betrayed and denied by his friends. He, he was maligned and slandered by lying witnesses at an unfair and biased trial. He was condemned by a judge under political motivation. He was publicly humiliated as they were stripped of his clothes and soldiers gambled to take them home. 
He was publicly shamed when a crown of long nails and thorns was shoved into his skull. He was brutally and shamefully paraded around one of the busiest cities in the world with soldiers whipping at him and crowds jeering at him. He carried a heavy crossbeam to the top of a hill to be nailed to it. Nails driven through his hands and his feet. A spear shoved under his ribcage into his heart. Jesus died. And as we said, he died not for his own crimes because he had none. Jesus died for our crimes. Look with me at Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. For with his wounds we are healed. Jesus died to take the punishment that you and I deserve. But that is not the end of the story. Because number four, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and he will never die again. He speaks, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Most people don't get a chance to say that. Most people don't get a chance to reflect on their own death, but Jesus did because he is alive. Why is Jesus in this great office of king, judge, priest, prophet, king? Because he died and rose again. He conquered death itself. He was dead and he is not dead anymore. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that is really good news for us today, church, because number five, Jesus gives life. Jesus rose from the dead, literally, historically, physically. It is a fact. You cannot dispute it. You can ignore it and you can rebel against it, but you cannot dispute it that Jesus is alive and he invites you to rise with him. And that's what he says, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a myth. It is a historical event. It took place nearly 2,000 years ago in a city called Jerusalem that still exists today. If you travel there, you can see where he was murdered. You can see where he was condemned. You can see where he walked and where he prayed. Jesus literally died, and Jesus literally rose again. It is not a myth. It is a historical fact. And it is not just a historical fact with bearings on the past. It is a living event that has incredible bearings on our today and our tomorrow and our forever. It has real significance for your life. Because we are dead in our sin. Our sin is not just a bad thing. It's a deadly thing. It's killed us all. But Jesus invites us to find true life in him. Jesus forgives us of our sin through his resurrection. So that if you believe in Jesus and repent of your sin, that means to turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus, to admit that your sin is bad and admit that Jesus is good, you can be forgiven. You are dead And under the the just and fearful and powerful hand of King and Judge Jesus. But you can find relief. Because Jesus died and he is 
alive. This is not about rules, because we could never keep the rules good enough to trick God into liking us, because he sees all things. This is about Jesus, who was so good, better than we could ever be. And Jesus died and rose again so that we could have life in him. Now, as our service comes to a close in the next few minutes, if you have any questions about what it means to trust in Jesus, to worship this Jesus, to have a relationship with this glorious King Jesus, he is calling you to himself. And so don't leave here today without asking me or anyone around you about what it means to follow and trust Jesus. You can have life today. Do not put it off any longer because it is urgent. Jesus came once as a humble carpenter and peasant and he is coming again revealed in his full glory like we see in Revelation. He is coming as a king, as a judge, as a priest because he is God. Will you believe in him today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your son is not dead, but is alive forevermore. We thank you that King Jesus will never die again. We thank you that we can have life in his name. And we pray, Father, that people here today would come to know and trust Jesus as a result of this incredible encounter that we've had with him in your word. We pray that you would bring people to resurrection life this morning. We pray that if there's anyone here that has questions, that, that they would not let fear or, or embarrassment stop them from asking someone or asking me. We pray, Father, that you would raise people to resurrection life today. We pray for the people that have already found that resurrection life, that they would live in it, that they would kill their sin, and that they would give their lives to you, King Jesus. We pray this for the glory of your name. Amen.